Welcome back. We're starting a new treatise, a treatise of Terumot, Ilkhot Terumot. Um, the first chapter is a very long one, so I'm going to try to go as quickly as I can through it so it doesn't take longer than what we usually take. Ilkhot Terumot Terumot includes eight kinds of misvot. Shetai misvot ase veshash misvot ase. Two of them affirmative, six of them negative. Vezehu pelatan. Aleph leafrish terumah gedola. One is to separate terumah gedola. It's the first terumah. We're going to obviously discuss it later. Bed leafrish terumat maaser. Gimal shelo yakdim terumot maaserot delazesh elay afrish al seder. Dalet shelo yochal zar terumah. Hesh lo yochal afilu toshav koheno sechido terumah. Vav shelo yochal aril terumah. Zain shelo yochal kohen tame terumah. Het shelo tochal halala terumah velo mura min hakodashim. Ubeur misvot elu bifrakim elu. So mitzvot about how to take the terumah, then how, what order to take it, and then who can not eat from terumah. Halacha alef, haterumot v'amahastrot enan nohagot min ha-Torah, ela be'edes Yisrael, ben b'fnei ha-bayit, ben shelo b'fnei ha-bayit. For terumot v'amahastrot to apply, it needs to be inside Eres Yisrael, which is why this is the treatise, and this is the chapter in which the, the actual Halachic borders of Eres Israel are discussed. Very interesting, very important topic. And Terumot apply whether the Bet HaMikdash is extant or not. It doesn't matter if the Bet HaMikdash is around. And Nevi'im also extended this, this um, obligation of Terumot to Babel. Because it's adjacent to Israel, and during that time, since the, the Galut Bait Rishon, there has been constant traffic of Yehudim between Babel and Eres Israel. The early Chachamim they also extended the Rumot to the lands of Misraim, which Egypt. And then Amon Moab, it's mostly Jordan. So uh, Syria, as we're going to see, is even more. So basically, Syria, Jordan, and um, and Egypt have to give to the Motu Maastrot, and, and sorry, all the way to Iraq, have to give to the Motu Maastrot, Midarabanan. Halachabet. Eres Israel Hamura Bechol Makom Hiyara, Sochekovesh Otan, Melech Israel, Oshofet, Onavi, Midat Rov Israel. When we refer to Eres Israel, which means the land of the Jews, what does it mean, the land of the Jews? So the land of the Jews means a land that is of the national entity of the Jews. It's not a land captured by a private Jewish citizen. And it needs to be done through a leader or a king and with the approval of the majority of, of, uh, of the Jewish people. When that happens, it's called the conquest of a public conquest, a conquest of the nation, a national conquest. But an individual or a family or a tribe that went and conquered an area for themselves. Even if this is from the land that was promised to Avraham Avinu, Avraham Avinu was promised the most expansive borders of Israel, which is the potential up to which his, gener- his posterity could, could come to inherit. We never got those areas. And Israel, this is not called Eres Israel, this is not Eres Israel from the point of view that the mitzvot will apply. Umi Peneze, Hilek Yoshua, Bedino, called Eres Israel Shvatim, 
ואף על פי שלא נכבשה, כדי שלא תהיה כיבוש יחיד כשיעלה כל שבט ושבט ויכבוש חלקו. This is one of the reasons why יהושע, before conquering the land, already divided up, he divided it among the שבטים, so that when each שבט went with their own private army, without the national army, and conquer that land, it would have been a realization of really the public will expressed by Yehoshua that that land be theirs, and this would be considered public conquest, national conquest. The lands that David Amelech captured outside the, what's today modern-day Israel, Kenan, like Aram Naharaim, which is in, all of these places are in Jordan, Aram Sova, Ahlav, Bahem, by the way, something very interesting from here, Rabbi Yosef Kafech, Alav Shalom, said that according to Harambam, Aram Sova and Halev were different places. How do we know this? Because Rambam mentions them separately, Aram Sova ve'achlav, separately. So even though David Melech did so as a king and with the approval of the Supreme Court of that time, they are not considered part of Eres Israel for everything, for some things yes, for some things not. Rather, they are some sort of its own category. They are neither Chutz La'aretz nor Eres Israel. Al-Chagimal, second part. Why are they downgraded from being fully Eres Israel? This was some sort of a penalty. Chachamim decreed upon David. It was a rebuke that he did not go as far as conquering Eres Israel first, and then expanding the borders. He went and expanded the borders before conquering every part inside Eres Israel. And there still were some, some of the seven nations that we were supposed to, ever since the times of Yoshua bin Nun, to remove from the land. If he had conquered Eres Kenan first and then expanded the borders, then his conquest would have been deemed a national conquest, making those new con- newly conquered lands as part of Israel for every aspect. And all of these lands that David Amelech conquered is what's called Surya. By the way, the name Surya, this might be uh, even Syria of today, this might be a name given to these lands by the Jews because of David Amelech's conquest. Okay, so just bear in mind the etymology of the word Syria and Syria could come from Jews. Halakha uh, Dalet. Sorry, one more, one more, um, okay, later. Halakha Dalet. Surya, yesh devarim shehi bahen keres Israel, yesh devarim shehi bahen kachus al-Aretz. Surya, some things is like Israel, some things is like kachus al-Aretz. Ve'akone ba'karka kekone beres Israel, ya'inyan terumot ma'asot ushve'id, ve'akol besuria medivir sofrim. And whoever, if a Jew, acquires land in Syria, then it's like acquiring in Israel for Terumot, Ma'asrot, and Shemitah. But everything in Syria is Midrabanan. Any place in Edes Israel that was conquered by Ole Misraim, namely Yehoshua and his armies, and it then acquired the Kedusha of Israel, 
then the moment that there was the first Galut, uh, the Galut Yehoyachin, and then later the Galut of the rest of, of Yerushalayim, then the Kedushah uh, became annulled. It was abrogated when the people who had conquered it left those areas. Why? Given that the first Kedushah was just a function of conquest, <coughs> in other words, just like Surya, right? The moment... <coughs> Sorry. So uh, the moment that it was conquered, this was conquered as a function, uh, it, it became Kadosh as a function of the conquest, and that conquest is reversible. The moment it's conquered again by by anyone else, it loses its Kedushah. However, now that Bnei Hagola with Zerubavel, they came back, Nehemiah, Ezra, and they acquired a partial part of the land, then that Kedusha was a Kedusha that was everlasting. Why is that? Why not? Why is that Kedusha better than the Kedusha of Yoshua? It's unclear, but I heard once an explanation that the second Kedusha that Am Israel received was a Kedusha that wasn't a function of violence, wasn't a function of conquest, but was a function of, of, uh, of agreement. Uh, the Kedusha was, they, they came to a land, without expelling anyone, without killing anyone, and with the explicit approval and blessing of uh, Koresh, the king of Persia. And this Kedusha continues until today. And then those areas that were... were um, uh, had been conquered by Yeshua, but were not resettled by Ezra, then those remained in that status pre-Ezra. However, at the same time, they although they lost their Kedushah of Eres Israel, those areas, they didn't lose the obligation of needing to take from there Terumotu Ma'asrot. In other words, let's say that the area around um, I don't know, the, the Galil was not reached by Ezra, although it was, but let's say the area of uh, uh, below Be'er Sheva was not reached by Ezra in, 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 that, in that Galut, then that area, if it had been part of Shevet Yehuda's conquest back when, it lost its Kedushah of Israel when Shevet Yehuda went to Galut. However, if anyone has a field Right next to Be'er Sheva, they would still need to give Terumot Ma'asrot from there. Sorry. He explicitly, he excluded, exempted Be'er from having to give Terumot Ma'asrot, uh, even though it had been part of the first conquest. And so to regarding Ashkelon, which had been conquered at first, he, he then he had been conquered from the from the Palestine, he then exempted it as well explicitly 
with his Beddin, Nimna means that he had a majority and he was able to, to achieve this legislative uh, goal. And he was Poter Ashkelon from Maasrot. So Ashkelon and Betsha'an do not need to give Maasrot. Everywhere else, whether it was conquered by Yeshua or settled by Ezra, need to remove Maasrot. Therefore, you conclude that the entire world can be thought of as three different areas from Asrot, from Misfot Eluyot Ba'aretz. Number one, Eres Israel. Number two, Vesuria. Number three, Vechus Ala'aretz. Veres Israel, Within Eres Israel, you have two subcategories. Everything that had been resettled by Ole Bavel is one category. And otherwise, parts that were only conquered by Yehoshua and his armies but were never resettled by Ezra's generation, then those are the second category. Also, Chutzlaaris has two different categories. Eres Misraim, Veshin'al, Ve'amon, Moab, Misraim, and Iraq, and Jordan. Then you do have to separate the Rumoto Masrod there, Midan Rabbanan. Every other land, does not apply. Very interesting. Now we start discussing the actual borders of Eres Israel. What is what are the borders of Eres Israel? The one that that was conquered by Yoshua, uh, and really this is by Yoshua, and uh, and through and until and until um, the, the, the first Galut. Israel is a famous Mishnah in Masechet Gitin. Rekem is a city that's in the east of Eres Israel, until the Mediterranean. So the, the eastern border is Rekem, the western border is Mediterranean. From Ashkelon until Akko. So if someone is walking from Akko until Keziv, Keziv is an area that uh, is north to Akko. And there was an area in there that although it's within this, these parameters, it was not conquered. Then the entire area to the right which is east, it has to um, as we'll see, someone that walks into Chutzlaaretz becomes Tameh. It's and it's exempt from giving Maser, just like Chutzlaaretz. Until you know, you have some evidence that that particular area, particular town, had been part of Eres Israel. But everything that's to the left, in other words, the beach area above Akko, that's all Eres Israel. It doesn't have to matter. It's obligated to master in Shemitah. It has a presumption unless you know otherwise and you know for a fact that this was Chutz La'aretz. So I believe this includes the area of Haifa, but I'm not sure. Everything 
Eres Israel, mi turesim nos velahus, husalares. There is, there is in the, in the, in the border of Turkey and Syria, uh, areas that are very, very active with uh, the civil war right now. Um, there is, uh, there is so many people wanting that area. The Russians, the, the Turks, the the Sunnis, the Shias, and the Druze, all of them want this area. So that very volatile area right now. There is a couple of of uh, mountain ranges. They're called um, Turesimnos. So everything that's into there, then that that is that is, uh, that is Israel. Everything that's beyond that is Chuslaaretz. In other words, a lot of Lebanon was Eres Israel. Now, with the borders we just described, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not explaining this in detail, but if anyone is watching this on YouTube or you have access to the Makbili edition, all the pictures here really explain everything, and it's pretty, pretty clear. So there are some areas in northern Lebanon, border between Syria, Syria and, and Iraq, that are part of Eres Israel, all of that area, probably it was uh, an area that was conquered by Shalomu HaMelech in, in, his, uh, in his alliance with Sidon. And uh, it's really, it's so the entire eastern shore of the Mediterranean, really almost entirely is Eres Israel. And if you, if you drop a straight line, you'll see that it even includes a few islands. That's what we are saying right now here. These are islands. So you, you have this virtual line between Turesim Nos until Egypt. Then everything that's inside there, in other words, east is the Israel. And this is what it looks like. And Harambam actually had a picture, a drawing of this in, in his manuscript, which uh, is not very visually appealing, but it, it gets the point. And then we have here in the Macbilly edition an actual map with our modern understanding of, the, of this uh, geography. And it's very, very clear. So what are the areas within this that Ole Bavel got. Mikziv velifnim keneged amizrach, from Keziv and east from there, umikziv velahuz adamana, and from Keziv and outwards from there until Amana, another place, veisimnos, is another place that's called Simnos. Ve'ad ha-nahar bu-nachar nisraim, and until nachar nisraim, which is, which is, it comes from the delta of the, of the Nile. Sorry, the other I'm sorry. So, that's the question. The answer is the only area that Olebavel that where, where they settled is from Kaziv and east from there. However, from Kaziv west until Amana, which is Simnos, and until the Nahar, which is Nahan Mitzrayim, all the Sinai Peninsula. 
לא החזיקו בו, אוחזיב עצמה לא החזיק בו, even כזיב itself was not settled by עולה בבל, therefore the קדושה does not last. הלכה ט', איזו היא סוריה? What is Syria? מארץ ישראל ולמטה כנגד ארם נהריים וארם סובייס, from ארץ ישראל, and למטה means, means actually north, and north from there, uh, against ארם נהריים and ארם סובה, ארם נהריים is uh, the, the Euphrates, uh, right next to Euphrates, ארם סובה is uh, probably today's Halib and if not is right next to it, כל יד פירט על בבל, כגון דמשק ואחלב וחרן וממביץ' וכיוצא בעין על שנער וצוהר הרי כסוריה, pretty much this is uh, pretty much modern day Syria if there is such a thing still. אבל עכו חוצה לארץ, but עכו, although it's in ארץ ישראל, this is, is belongs to חוצה לארץ, כאשקלון, ואין תחום ארץ ישראל, just like אשקלון is חוצה לארץ, and these are the borders of ארץ ישראל, we are not going to upgrade them to the status of Syria just because they are geographically more proximate to ארץ ישראל. הלכה יוד, גוי, now, so this was the second part of the chapter, we defined the borders of ארץ ישראל, now we are going to define the ownership of the land. גוי שקנה קרקע בארץ ישראל, לא הפקיעה מן המסוות, אלא הרי בקדושתה. When a non-Jew acquires land in Eretz Yisrael, he will not have exempted it from the mitzvot, but rather this land still remains in its kedusha, which is very fortunate because we don't have the scam that's run with respect to Shavuot, where uh, ownership by a goy does have some relevance. Here it has no relevance, and therefore everyone gives terumot like they're supposed to, and they don't try to find loopholes by fake selling it to a goy that's done with Shaviyait, So one consequence of this is, when a Jew reacquires it from a Goy, this is not considered a private acquisition of Eres Israel, which we said doesn't count for national consequences. No, this is national because it had been nationally a part of Israel, then we lost it momentarily for, to a Goy, and now we regain it back. אלא מפליש תרומות ומארצות ומביא ביקורים והכל מן התורה, כאילו לא נמכרה לגוי מעולם, just as if it had never been sold. ויש קניין לגוי בסוריה להפקיע מן המארצות ומן השביעית, כמו שהתבאר. And in Syria, in Syria, however, if a goy does acquire land in Syria, then yes, then that land stops, uh, not only it doesn't, it's not obligated to keep שמיטה, but it's also exempted from תרומות ומארצות. הלכה י"א. פירות הגוי שגדלו בקרקע, בקרקע שקנה בארץ ישראל, what happens with fruits that grew in land that a goy acquired in ארץ ישראל, say in, the, in an Arab land. אם נגמרה מלאכתם ביד הגוי, ומרחן הגוי פטורים מכלום שנאמר לגניך ולא תיקון הגוי. So although the ownership of the land has no relevance, but the working of the land and the growth of those fruits by the goy, that does have relevance. And if the goy is the one that grows his fruits and finish growing, finishes growing them and does what's called meriha, which, which is the final act that makes his fruits ready for, uh, ready for consumption, they become peturim. Because the Torah says, not 
only that that it's a fruit of the land, but it also calls it your fruit, the ganechai, your harvest, your produce. In other words, the Jewish ownership. And if the Jew, after this were uprooted, but before this meriha happened, the Jew acquires them, and then the Jew is the one that finishes off the, the miruah. Uh, miruah is really the last stage. So you have the ketzirah, that's the, the harvest, you have the aimur, it's putting it into bundles, you have the disha, after you put them into bundles, you, you go and something that's forbidden on Shabbat, one of the 39 melachot, you grind them with pressing them by having an ox uh, drag something over them, which separates or at least breaks away the, the shaft from the grains. Then zeriyah, which is throwing it up so that the shaft is being taken out. And then you have the miruach. The miruach is when you take all the grain and you place it in one big mountain which only has grain and this is pre pretty much ready for whatever form of consumption you choose, either making it, grinding it into flour or boiling it, whatever, or giving it to the animals, all of those things are miruach. So if the miruach happened by the hand of a Jew, it becomes hayav min Torah. And then the person has to take Terumah Gedola and give it to the Kohen and Terumah Maaser and sell it to the Kohen. So in this particular case, although it's Chayav in Terumot, so the Terumah Gedola, he has to give to the Kohen. Terumat Maaser, which is the Terumat that the Levi has to give from his own Maaser to the Kohen, it's Asur Be'achila, but he can derive benefit from it, he can sell it to the Kohen, obviously much cheaper than he would sell uh, the actual, the actual produce. And then the Maaser that goes to the Levi, poor Levi, I'm sorry to tell you, um, this is Mutar Be'achila to everyone, and right now I have a stronger case than you over ownership of this, so I understand that I need to separate this, but now that I separated this, let's fight over this. And look, I have a stronger case than you. Tough luck. Why do we permit him to sell the Rumat Maaser and not to give him to the Kohen at the Because in Rumat Maaser, the Torah says, When you go and collect from Israel the Maaser, if you are taking tevel from Israel, then you remove from it Tirumat Maaser and give to the Kohen. But if the tevel was taken from the Goy, in other words, interpreted that to mean when the, the, the ownership of that tevua had been a Jew and not a Goy until the very last step at which he gave it to the Yehudi. If the goy sells the fruits to a Jew while these are connected to the ground, this is what's called today futures in, in the commodities markets nowadays. If this is done before Onat Ma'asrot began, in other words, until the moment at which Ma'asrot become obligated, and then the, the, the Jew is the one that finishes them off and makes them obligated to the Maaser. Then 
it's obligated to pay everything. And then he has to pay the Teruman the master, he has to give the Teruman the master to, to the owners. If he sold them after they arrived to this moment of Masrot, One second. Okay, he's going to explain. Ketsand. How do we how do we do that that we calculate? It's not a one hundred percent, it's just a percentage. Let's say that the contract is after the tevua has grown one third, so that's when the Jew buys it from the goy. The remaining two thirds and the actual gmar melacha happens beyad Israel. The Israel has to separate the rumot masrot. Then the terumat gedola. He has to give to the Kohen, but then the Maaser, he gives two-thirds to the Levi, and he gives two-thirds of Terumat Maaser to the Kohen, because those two-thirds, this was under his own ownership. He doesn't need to give the one-third to the Levi or sell it to him. He doesn't need to do anything with that, just like if it had grown completely under the Goy, this one-third grew completely under the Goy, but the one-third of Terumat Maaser, he has to sell to the Kohen. The Gemar Melacha is really what is positive here. So if the opposite happens, the Jew owns a field, the Jew has a perot, and only the very last second before the Miruah he sells it to the Goy, they become Peturim. If this happened a second after the Miruah, even if the Goy is the one who actually finishes them off. So the Onata Maasrot is not really is not really an action, but the time at which the Maasrot are Hayavim. Hayav Then once they arrive to Onata Maasrot, um, they would be Peturim in the Torah, but Hachamim obligated the Yehudi to, to pay Terumot Maasrot. Vechen Goy Shegamar Perot Israel. So to a Goy, that comes and works is hired by the, the Jew to do Gemar Melacha. Then Minatorade will be exempt, but Hachamim obligated people to still pay Terumot Masrot so that nobody finds this loophole as a way to deprive the Kohen and the Levi from the rightful gifts. If the Goy sold to the Jew uh, futures, in other words, after Onata Masrot has arrived, and then the Goy went ahead and he did the Gemar Melacha as well. Then this is different, and there is no Hiyuv of Trumat Masrot. 
since we have these two conditions, the Miruach itself happens by the Goy, and the Onata Masrot happens while they, were on, while they were still owned by the Goy, then that's it, they are Peturim forever from Terumot Masrot. Even if now they are uh, the Jews, he just bought them, he's Patur from Terumot Masrot. So if someone buys a field in Syria, the same rules apply as in, as in Israel, just like we just explained. However, when you, what you buy in Syria is not the land, but it's the fruit. So we already said that the ownership of the goy of the field in Edes Israel means nothing. But in Syria, it does poter from Terumotu Masrot, and that's the case here. Even if the Gemar Melacha happened by the Jew, even if Onata Masrot happened while the Perot were owned already by the Jew. If someone buys land from a goy in Syria with fruits already or attached to it or with grain already growing from it, if these things that had grown already reached Onata Masrot, they are Patur, if Onata Masrot hasn't arrived yet, given that they were part of this transaction that included the field and these fruits, then there is a Chiyuv Masr. If a Jew was an Aris, we explain what an Aris is priorly, previously, but again, just as a refresher, Aris is someone who rents, who works the field for a percentage of the produce. So the Jew doesn't own the, doesn't own the field, he gets into an agreement with the Goy, he's going to work the field, he's going to do all the work, and he's going to take 30% of everything that grows, or any other percentage. Pirotav peturin minam asrot. The pirot that come from that field are peturin, because they were owned by the Goy. Because the Jew has no claim whatsoever over the land itself. And as we said, if the Goy owns the land, there is no chiyuv in, in Syria. So to hocher, hocher is just like, uh, is just like um, aris, but as opposed to aris, it's not a percentage of the produce, but a set amount, a fixed amount. Mekabel is the one who receives, socher is the one who rents, all different ways of, of, uh, of doing things that where the Goy really is a nominal owner, and that will be enough to be patur if this is in Syria. If the Jew bought from the Goy in Syria a field with things growing from it that have not yet reached a third of their growth, and then he sells it to another Goy a week later, but during that week, the third was reached. If then another Jew comes and buys his field again, then it will be because during such time as the produce grew, that threshold one third, it was owned by a Jew. And then when the new Jew owns it, he, cannot, he can no longer say, well, this was owned by a Goy, 
which was enough to Lafkia. This Hafka'a of Terumot Ma'asrot happens at that moment when the produce reaches one-third. That's a Hidush here. If a Jew had land in Syria and he had an Aris, uh, we don't know if he's uh, Jewish or not, obviously Jewish, sorry, and then the Aris sends him, he doesn't live around and he doesn't know what he sent him, but he sends him fruits. So do we assume that these fruits are from the field and therefore Hayavim Masrot or not? No, we are entitled to presume that these fruits are bought from elsewhere and therefore Peturim in so long as, and the, this presumption holds, so long as it's reasonable to think that, for example, that this fruit is being sold right now widely in the open market. But if I have the only field of, uh, of blueberries in all of Syria and suddenly he sends me blueberries, I cannot assume that this was bought from someone else because... Obviously, they come from my field. Partnership with a Goy would still imply an obligation of Terumotomasrot. If a Jew and a non Jew acquired a field as partners, even if they, they, they divided this Sadeh while the the grain was still standing, in other words, before Onat Masrot. And how much more so if what they divided was after it was closer to Onat Masrot. Then what happens is we see each and every string, each and every grain, each and every fruit has a mixed ownership in here because the moment that they grew, they were owned jointly by them. So what happened here, again, is they were owned jointly by them, and then they severed this partnership, and they split 50-50. But the problem is, let's say it was an apples orchard, so the apples of the left side of the orchard are 50-50, and of the right side of the orchard are 50-50, even though the Jew took the right side of the orchard, and the Goy took the left side of the orchard. <laughs> Even though the Goy did the Miruah and the Chiyuvis Midrabanan, Hachamim did not, did not agree to give a freebie in this situation and permit this way to, to exempt the field from Terumot Masrot. Let's qualify what we just said. This is all in Israel. This is in Israel where the Ma'asot Torah, and Minatora, this Berera, this kind of severing the relationship does not work. However, if this was done in Syria, then given that the Ma'asot there, the Ma'asot itself is the Rabbanan, then we don't care about the Miruach right now, but even if they divide the Gadish, which is much close to 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 Onata Masrot. It's unclear whether it is after or before Turmata Masrot, but in this case in Syria, the part of the Goy, even though you think it's 50-50, it's patur from anything. Al-Hakaf Bet. 
very important, is perhaps the most important halacha for us living in Chutz La'aretz. People don't know this, but it's halacha meforeshet, very meforeshet. I remember once in Yeshiva University, uh, 13 or 14 years ago, I argued with one of the Rashi Yeshiva there, this very point, and as the Rosh Yeshiva, obviously it wasn't any of the Rosh Yeshiva that I, I studied with, it was a different one, um, but I was very I was very surprised that at Rosh Yeshiva he didn't know this very explicit halacha, and I had to show him the source. But Perot Eres Israel if you have fruits from Israel, let's say the Jaffa, famous Jaffa oranges, basically Israel produces almost everything, um, actually a little less by the day because it's they use the land for more uh, profitable things. But back a few years ago, it was very common to find fruits of Eres Israel in Chutz So if you take a pomegranate from Eres Israel, or I have right now in my kitchen, I have dates from Eres Israel in my kitchen. So those dates, let's say I know that they weren't taken to Rumut Masrot, but Eres Israel, she has full of They are from Eres Israel, they came to Chutz Peturin, mina halla, umina terumot, umina masrot. Those do not need, you don't need to give halla. And this halla is a halla to the Kohen. However, there is halat chutz aris, that's something else. Or terumot, or masrot. They don't have to give any of these things. When we are discussing the Pasuk of Masrot, that's when the Terumot apply on the land where I bring you there, says the Torah. In other words, it's the land of Israel. There in that land is where you are obligated. However, if they come to Syria, then in Syria they are still And so too, if fruits come, also very relevant, fruits come from Chutz La'aretz to Ares Israel, they are Hayavim for Hala, specifically Hala. Hala is the Hala that goes to the Kohen. Chachamim learned from this same word Shamma that if something comes from Chutz Laaretz to Israel, it will become Hayav on Halla, Halla specifically. And furthermore, with respect to Masrot, if they became, the Mirua happened in Eres Israel by a Jew, after this had come from Hutzala Aretz, so let's say they come from Hutzala Aretz in the form of bundles, and then in Eres Israel I, I, I do the Dishan, I do the Miruah, then Midr Rabbanan, it's also Hayav in Masrot. Very interesting, weird case, but let's say that I have a planter on or inside a vessel, a ship, that a ship that's coming from uh, from France to Eres Israel. Then, if the Sefina is Gosheshet, the Sefina is, uh, is kind of touching, is touching, in other words, the bottom of the Sefina is, is in contact with 
the ground of Eretz Israel, then anything that grows in that Tzafina is Chayav in Terumah Ma'asot Nashavit, just like if it had been growing in Eretz Israel. This might be an interesting halacha if anyone ever wants to show what were the, the attitudes towards international waters back in the day. So here you have a definition of what the waters of Eretz Israel are. Halacha Kavdalit. Ilan shehu omed ba'aretz v'notel lechus ala'aretz. A tree that's sitting right on the border between Eretz Israel and say, chus ala'aretz, let's say it's Akko. Akko is not Eretz Israel. So the, the, the top is hovering over chus ala'aretz. O omed bechus ala'aretz v'notel la'aretz, or it's in Akko, but it's hovering over Eretz Israel. Hakol holech achar aikar, we always go after the roots. The roots are what matters. Now that says some of the roots were inside, some of the roots were, were outside. Even if there were an, an actual an actual border, there was a line made of stone, something that cannot grow anything, separating between the roots of one side and the roots of the other side. We still uh, do something that's called zevezegorem, and we consider that tevel and holin are mixed within each and everything that grows from that tree. Halachakafhe, just like we had, by the way, with the ownership of Yehudi and Goy, also we saw it as a hybrid kind of tevel and holin. Halachakafhe, atzitz nakuv shehayab ozera shelo ishrish, a planter that has a hole under, we said that that's considered connected to the ground, if it has some kind of something planted in it that didn't shoot roots, and in this case it was a tree. So it was a little tree that the the the, the roots haven't come out yet. So the roots haven't come out. I'm reading here that. It's not what, what Rambam says, but other Rishonim, and perhaps Rambam also thought this way, said that the roots came out from the planter and into the ground. Okay? Uh, but, so the roots have not yet touched the ground. So although it's considered connected to the ground for many aspects, because there is a hole that connects the soil inside the planter to the soil on the, on the ground, if the tree itself is hovering over Husala Ares, we actually go after the north of the tree, after the top part of the tree, and not after the branches, and not after the roots, given that the roots are in a planter. last of the chapter. Ha-teruma ba-zeman also very important, ha teruma nowadays. Va-fillu b-makom she-hiziko o-le-bavel. Va-fillu even in those areas that were resettled by o-le-bavel, and even during that time of Ezra himself, when we had the Beit HaMikdash. Enah minat Torah elam idivrehem. This teruma is the Rabbanan, not minat Torah. She'en lecha teruma shel Torah ela be'eres Yisrael u'izman sh'yukol Yisrael sham. The only time at which you have teruma min ha-Torah is in Eres Yisrael and when all of Israel is living there. Now you'll ask me, all of Israel? How can it be? Can one person make everyone not be chayav in teruma if he's living outside Eres Yisrael? So obviously... The Mefashim asked this question and they said, well, one person won't be enough. And some go as far as to say that when Arambam says here, all of Israel, he means the majority of Israel, just like is the case with Shemitah and Yovel. 
שנאמר כי תבואו, אז the Torah says כי תבואו אל הארץ when you come to Eres Israel that prefaces הלכות תרומה, the מצווה of תרומה, ביד כולכם, when all of you come, כשהיו בירושה ראשונה או כמו שעתידים לחזור בירושה שלישית, just like it happened the first time we came to Eres Israel, and like it's going to happen בעזרת השם in the third coming of Am Israel to Eres Israel. לא כשהיו בירושה שנייה שהייתה במעזרה, not like the second coming of עזרא הסופר, שהייתה ביד מקצתן that only a minority came. ולפיכך לא חייבה אותן מן התורה, and that's why they were never obligated מן התורה. וכן יראה לי שהוא הדין במעשרות, and הרמב״ם says, although the Torah only says it's about תרומות, I think, הרמב״ם says, I don't have a source for this, but I think that the same applies to מעשרות. שאין חייבים בהם בזמן הזה אלא מדבריהם, that we are only obligated in the Rabbanan, כתרומה, just like a תרומה. Now, just to point something out, that it's the Rabbanan doesn't really have many consequences. You would think that given that it's with the Rabbanan, then take Maaser, uh, I don't know, Maaser Rishon. So even if I have Tevel, even if I have something that I'm sure I never took Maaser from it, I'm exempted from taking Maaser Rishon, We will see later if that's the case or that's, or that's not the case, but it's not necessarily the case that the fact that this is Midera Banan really means anything to us one way or the other. We still have to act upon it, whether the Rebanan or the Raita, Baruch Adonai Amen Amen.